get closer to God and to go forward with him. And um, I've asked her if she would share just a little bit, um, just of how that was for her. So it's always encouraging to hear. So um, is there a mic? Thank you. Probably that one, I should think, Natalie, yeah. Hi, yeah. Um, the last six months have just been absolutely incredible, really. Um, just to put it in a bit of context quickly, um, about two and a half years ago, um, I went out to Mississippi in the States to go and visit my parents, who at the time were serving as missionaries long-term in Jackson, um, which is a really impoverished part of the States, um, predominantly African-American, a lot of crime, um, drugs and hopelessness. But I just really felt that the Lord was calling me to go out there and spend some time serving. Um, and it was the start of an amazing journey for me, really. I felt that at the time he just really um, restored in me a sense of identity and calling in him. Um, and I really felt a renewed sense of purpose. And off the back of that, I came back and really felt that the Lord was speaking to me and communicating to me about going deeper with him and doing discipleship training to go and have experience out on the mission field um, and just to be able to go and make disciples of all nations and, and make him known um, in the far corners of the earth. So I had visions of going to Hawaii, of all places, when I came back from um, from Mississippi, and so at the time, prophetically, words of fire were being spoken, and initially I was going to go and do a fire and fragrance course with YWAM, which is Youth for a Mission, um, but it ranges from people that are little toddlers right to people that are in their 70s and 80s, you know, it doesn't discriminate against age or anything like that, and so um, I got accepted onto the course, and so I went in January and we did a three-month training program, really comprehensive, where we really delved deeper into different elements of who God is, his identity, um, his nature and character, the Holy Spirit, and just have really, really rich teachings. Um, and I felt that at the time, um, through that, the Lord was really speaking to me. I had a lot of breakthrough and freedom, breakthrough of strongholds of fear and anxiety, uh, fear of things I didn't even think I had fear of, fear of man, you know, different things. But um, I really experienced a lot of breakthrough and freedom, and I just felt that um, for the first time in my life, I really had a sense of my identity. And it sort of links into what Anne was saying this morning about people that find gratification from other stuff, you know, like drugs or alcohol, money, um, and relationships, you know. And I think inherently one of the biggest things is if we know who we are in Christ and who he says we are, and we step into that calling and the destiny that he's placed on our lives, you know, we'll be unstoppable, you know, and I've started seeing revival in different places. Um, one of the things that I felt a real burning passion for um, was women's ministry and just coming alongside women um, and helping them see their worth and value and identity in Christ but also when I went out on outreach you know I experienced the Lord on a even deeper level um, I saw signs and miracles and wonders um, and you know it doesn't matter if the Lord placed a calling on your heart when you were seven or whether you're 70 you know he's outside of time and if he's given you those desires those are his desires that he's placed on your heart and he's given you everything within you to fulfill those um, 
and all of his promises are yes and amen. And I just really feel that um, I've just felt since sort of doing the DTS just that I've experienced and encountered him in just really new and fresh and exciting ways. You know, um, I've been walking with the Lord again for about seven years now and to just really experience the goodness that, you know, he, he is a God who fulfills his promises. You know, there's been promises in my life that I've had spoken and said over me about 20, 30 years ago that I'm now starting to see the fruit of. And so he's just so faithful. Um, you know, he gave me a burning heart for America when I was 14. I'm now 37. And I really feel that the Lord's calling me to go out to America and just really come alongside people and, and help them and staff the DTS that I did. But I just really feel that he's just so faithful. Um, I had heart surgery about four years ago. Um, and at the time when I went through that, he told me that he was going to use me to help bring healing to others that are experiencing heart problems. And when I was out in South Africa, we went to a really rural community um, and we were invited there by the local minister who's a missionary from Zimbabwe. Um, and we stayed in a hall that was attached to the Catholic Church. And on the Saturday, we had the privilege of praying over and ministering to the six Catholic sisters that served the church there. Um, all of them had um, health problems, you know, ranging from uh, sort of back and neck problems and mobility problems through to heart problems. Um, one of them was deaf. I prayed over two of the sisters who had heart problems. And I shared with them that, you know, I had also experienced that and the Lord wanted to use me to help pray for and minister to other people suffering with the same thing. And he brought healing through my hands to those people and to see the fulfillment of that promise. You know, he is such a good God. He's so faithful, you know, and it's just amazing how he moves and, you know, to, to see that and to apply that even in our own communities that... Everywhere we are is outreach, you know, and the Lord can use us no matter how how insignificant we may feel we are or how ordinary. He takes the ordinary and he makes it extraordinary. I was just thinking, I mean, you know, how wonderful, get a call to go to Hawaii. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like you couldn't make it up, could you, Nestle, really? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I really, I was quite interested actually in the part where Natalie said that, um, uh, that the Lord, she went to do a discipleship program, you know, first. And that's really, um, yeah, that's really what we think here is that without discipleship, you can't do anything for the Lord. I mean, you can, but do you know what I mean? He, he channels what he wants to do through you through discipleship. So. Anyway, um, so we're going to start. I, I think I had sort of, like, probably nearly 30 pages of notes, and I had to spend the first half an hour of lunch trying to figure out where I was in them because I couldn't, couldn't find where I was. So you'll be very thankful to know that I've put aside 10 or 12 pages, so we don't have to do those. Um, but I, huh? No, oh, yeah, homework. Yeah, good one, Alan, yeah. 
Um, so, but what I did want to start with is actually what uh, Alex and the guys were singing about was the love of God. I wanted to start with that because we've talked a lot about the sovereignty of God and, and how he, uh, he speaks things into existence, how he is the majestic holy God. And, but I wanted to talk about the, the love of God that goes along with that and how he wants us to um, make that known. The gospel is not if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. That's not the gospel. The gospel is God loves you so much that he came for you. And um, so, yeah. So, Father, I, I would ask you to, um, to now speak to us and, um, and enable us to hear the truth. The Lord, um, enable us to be able to say, I know, I know that this is the truth. And to be confident and bold in our uh, exposition of it, Lord, that we would not be afraid to speak that truth out uh, to the people that you put in our path and in ways that you call us to do. And I do pray, Father, that, um, that we would hear your call to come close to you in that, Lord, and that we would be unafraid to do that. I know, Father, that we have all sorts of wrong pictures of who you are, and um, we just ask you now, I ask you now, Lord, to dispense with those pictures and help us to see you clearly as Isaiah saw you, as Jeremiah saw you, as so many people see you, Lord, so that we would be able to say, I am not afraid, for I know whom I have believed. And I, I yeah, I thank you, Lord, that you want us to know you, and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Um, yeah, one of the things uh, I wanted to sort of begin with is that um, Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the people who see God in Scripture, they know, they understand that God is holy, that he is sovereign, that he is majestic. But uh, there is also, they know that God is love. And that alongside the call from God or to come closer to him is a growing love for him and for each other. And um, and again, that's something that I think is, is is difficult because you know you know in John's Gospel where John says um, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I, f- I feel sometimes that the church is divided on that verse. The church is either full of grace and no truth or it's full of truth and no grace. And I've heard that said, you know, when I came back to the UK, I heard it said a lot that um, it's okay to have the word, but, you, you know, you, you've got to have the spirit. And, it, you, you know, it's not... You, you, the spirit is more important than the word, or, the, or conversely, that the word was more important than the spirit. It always confused me, actually, because the word is the spirit, and the spirit is the word, because the spirit is the spirit of Christ, and Christ is the word. So I I just couldn't work that out. But what I saw as I went on was that there is this divide, that there's this massive section of the church that that focuses completely on the grace of God. And what that, it's not untrue, but, but at the expense of the truth. And then you've got this other whole faction that is all about the truth, which is wonderful, but there's no grace. And I, so that verse in John's Gospel is really amazing to me because that brings us right back to where I think God wants us to be. 
We say we are followers of Jesus. He was full of grace and truth. Therefore, we are to be full of grace and truth. He lives within us. Therefore, we, there should be no, you know, no discord between grace and truth. And when you look at God's character, you see that the, the hidden, there's, no, there's no compromise in that. God is holy, holy, holy. He is completely and utterly different, wholly other to us. He is righteous and just and magnificent and all of those things. But he is also love and compassion and mercy and forgiveness and grace. And he doesn't have any confusion in himself. Those things all lay on top of each other almost. You know, they just meld into one. So... um, One of the things that I think God will do when he's calling you to come closer to him because he wants to send you out is that um, he will enable you to be able to understand that and to pray for grace. The truth is in some ways easier than grace because the truth is just something we, we know to be true. But the working of that truth in us produces grace and the grace is what the world needs. See, we need the truth one to another. Paul will say, speak the truth in love. And, you know, for those of you who know me, he doesn't mean, you know, you know, Anne, I don't really think you should be wearing nail varnish. It doesn't do you any favours. You know, that, that might be true in your eyes, but that's not the truth. Or, you know, that colour doesn't look great on you. Or, I don't think women should have short hair or whatever. You know, the truth in love is God's truth. Speak God's truth in love. It's not what may be true about that person or whatever in your opinion. It's speak God's truth in love. What is God's truth? God's truth is that he wants his people to live holy lives. He wants us to live righteous. He wants us to be known to be people of integrity. He wants us to be known as a, you know, that this ministry, that's, what, that's my vision for this ministry, is that this will be a place where people know truth is spoken. Not just spoken, but truth is lived. That the truth of God's word has so burned into our souls that we are actually living it out. But I also want it to be a place where people know here, here is a place you can come and be covered in the grace of God. God is compassionate, doesn't he say? He's he's compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. Loving kindness is is a a rough translation of, in the Hebrew, loyal love. That's what loving kindness is. It's it's a love that is loyal, that won't change. So this grace and truth, this uh, holiness in love is something that I think if you, the longer you're with the Lord, the more you will recognize that you need one side or the other. And then you'll start to pray and ask the Lord and he will start to build that up in you. That's what he does. And um, of course, you find it in scripture all over the place. Once you know that God is a God of love, once you know that he's a God of truth, you find that in scripture everywhere. And I don't need to tell you the verses, you know them. But one of the things is that Uh, what you also find in scripture is that we love because he first loved us. So we love him because he first loved us and we love other people because he first loved us. So if we're finding we don't love other people because, you know, they're pretty unlovable, 
then there's a misunderstanding about the love of God for us. And that's, that's something I think that we, we need to be really aware of because it's becoming harder and harder to love people because they look more and more hideous. Because sin is, is just rampant. And it is, it is taking people to places I never thought I would see. I mean, it took me to places I never thought I would go. But even more so now, you know, now we live in a world that is so wicked and so evil and there is so much darkness and confusion. It's hard to love that world. But that's the world God loves. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't pick out the good ones and love them. He loved the world. And so that is an amazingly difficult call to speak the truth about God with grace to a world that is absolutely, totally and utterly undeserving of it. In fact, so much so, it almost turns your stomach to to even contemplate it. So I can't do that. I can't do that. You can't do that. You can't love consistently like that until and unless you allow the Lord God to love through you. Until we allow Jesus to love through us. And that doesn't just happen. You know, I mean, it would be great, wouldn't it, if by osmosis we could just know everything and do everything. and you know, But it doesn't happen. We need training to be like that. We need to be refined to be like that. We need to have the circumstances of our life so, in the way that they are so that we understand how much we need the love of God and the strength of God and the power of God to enable us to give that love and strength out. And all of what I'm saying is really just the same as I said in the, in the morning. You know, it's, it's, it's all about God, isn't it? It's, it's all about God. I've said so many times, you know, um, about you know the, a book I read. I read it in Tokyo. I remember because the church that I was in in Tokyo was thinking about going over to this way or this new way that was new at the time, and um, uh, they did actually ultimately do that after I'd left. But um, the, the first line of the book is, "It's not about you." And so you pick that up and you think, oh, great, that's a really good, this is good, it's going to be good. And then the rest of the book, 500 and something pages, is all about you. The first line was, it's not about you. And then the whole book is about you. That's, that's the story of Christians. I mean, that's the church. It's not about you, it's about him. But actually, <laughs> I'm going to talk about you. It's in the songs we sing, it's in the... It's in the way we talk to each other. It's in, it's in everything about church life. And this is not any particular domina- denomination. This is church life. It's all about us. It's all about us. When it should be all about God. Because the thing is, you can't help me. You just can't help me. You might try, you might love me, you might all of those things, but you can't help me. Only God can help me. He might use you, but it won't be you. And that's, I think, because that is so alien to the human nature, we have to be trained in that. We have to be discipled in it.
And God's doing that in your life right now. He's doing that. And he'll continue to do it until the day he calls us home. And as he does that, he will use us in ways we never thought possible. So, um, you know, there's lots of examples in Scripture. I mean, there's just so many examples. Once you start looking for it, it's just everywhere. Moses, look at Moses. When God uh, was going to use him, Moses, you know, brought up in Pharaoh's palace, thought he could do anything, goes out, separates a, an Egyptian from an Israelite, kills the Egyptian, thinks it's all going to be okay. Next day goes out, and suddenly he's the enemy, he's not the friend. So he has to hide out in Midian for 40 years. 40 years. His life is separated into 40-year chunks. 40 years in, in the palace, 40 years in Midian, and 40 years in the wilderness with the Israelites. It's, it's an amazing story. And Moses' story is your story. It's my story. I mean, not quite exactly 40 years everywhere, thankfully, but 40 years before I came to know the Lord. I'm in the middle 40 at the minute. And then I'm going to be 40 years in the promised land. Only that 40 will go on forever. But God trained Moses in the sheep in the being in a foreign land, being in a place he didn't want to be. He trained Moses to be able to do what he called him to do. Now, I'm not, again, I know that I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You know this. And you know that Moses didn't realize when, when he met God that morning, when he was out with his sheep in Exodus chapter 3, and God's in the burning bush, he doesn't realize. And, and what he'll say to God is, who am I that you could send me? Who am I that you could send me? And that's why you love Moses, because that's what you would say. Who am I? So think about that 40 years, because in, in um, Egypt, 40 years before, he'd been, well, this is who I am. I mean, I'm this person. I'm an Israelite, but I was brought up in a palace. So, I mean, I don't know if that's you, because certainly this, living in the UK or living in the Western world, we're being brought up in a palace and, and maybe the church in the palace thinks that, well, here we are. That's like, we're going to change the world, aren't we? We're going to just, we're going to do it. We're going to claim it for the Lord. It's just words. That's what Moses was doing. He was going to sort out that problem because he had the wherewithal to do it. And God's answer to the church in the West is the same as his answer to Moses you're going to need to hide out for 40 years. You need to learn a few things. And, and so, who am I? And then who's sending me? Because I don't even know who God is. And then they won't believe me when I tell them this. And then I'm not gifted enough to do this. All these things that he said to God. And in the end, what did God say to him? Exodus 3 and 4. If you want to go there to find out. But you know what he said to him. What did he say to him? When Moses said, they will not believe me or listen to me. Um, what if they will not believe me or listen to me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. And it became a serpent. Stretch out your hand and grasp it by his tail. So he stretched out and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. 
and then he puts his hand in his chest and it comes out like leprosy and then, it, and then in again and out it comes. And then um, after seeing those things, after seeing those two things, I mean, can you even Im- imagine it? Moses again says, I've never been eloquent. I won't know what to say. So can you imagine the change in Moses in that 40 years from when he was in Egypt to when he was now facing God? That's where God will bring us, to that place where, who am I? And I need to know who you are. Anyway, in the end, what did um, God say to him? Who has made man's mouth, or who makes him mute or deaf, or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. That's God's answer. I will go with you. I will go with you. He said it to Gideon. He said it to Deborah. He said it to um, Nehemiah. He said it to Ezra. He said it to everyone. I will go with you. And he's saying it to us. Come close to me. Walk with me. I will send you and I will go with you. I will go with you. Ezra. I love Ezra. Ezra chapter 7. He's got a whole book called Ezra and he doesn't appear till chapter 7. It's great. And when he appears in chapter 7, what it says about Ezra is that the good hand of the Lord was upon him. And then it says for or because... Ezra set his heart to study, to practice, and to teach the law of God. To study, to practice, and to teach. And God raised him up to do that. So when I said in the beginning that when God calls us, he calls us to him, that's how he does it. So have you set your heart to study, to practice, and to share the word of God? I know it's warm and it's after lunch so people are sleepy have you set your heart to do that to study to practice and to share or teach the word of God and you'll teach it in different ways you'll share it in different ways we don't all teach or share in the same way we do it in different ways God works in different ways in us but your heart must be set to do it in the beginning he won't override your desires Do you want to do that? Do you want to walk with God? Do you want to be used by God? Do you want to make a difference in this world? Then you have to set your heart on God. You have to set your heart on him. And the way that he has called you to do that is to set your heart on his word. To study it, to practice, and to teach his word. Look at Nehemiah. We'll we'll go to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1. I was talking about love and understanding the sovereignty of God and setting your heart on something. And Nehemiah um, is a great example of that. So Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month Chislev, in the 20th year, while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. 
They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard those words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses." Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. You might be thinking, well, what's all that about? Why does that, why does that relate? Nehemiah asked about the condition of the church, um, of, of his people in Israel. He had to ask about the condition. Why did he ask? He was concerned. Okay, so my first question to you is, are you really concerned about the state of the church? Nehemiah was concerned about the state of Israel, about Jerusalem. He lived in a palace. He was cupbearer to the king. He was quite important, and he had probably enough wealth to last him a lifetime. Cupbearer was a bit of a dangerous job because he had to taste all the food and the drink first, and if it was poisoned, he was, you know, he would die. But, um, but you know, he, that was his job, and it was a, a highly paid job. But he was concerned to ask about the condition of the church. So, have, do you know the condition of the church of which you are a part? Do you know that 245 million people are currently persecuted for being Christians around the world? Do you know that people are losing their lives today, right now, because they're Christians? Do you know that you live in a palace, like Esther, for such a time as this? You know, do we know these things and do we care about them? When I say 245 million, that's too big a number for me. I can't get it in my head. 245 million people persecuted for being a Christian. And the number is going up all the time. Nehemiah cared enough to ask God, or ask, yeah, ask God about his people, ask his, his brothers that came to him from Jerusalem. He cared enough to ask about them. And when he found out the situation they were in, he turned to God. So I want to ask you another question. How much do you pray for 245 million people who are currently being persecuted in the world? How much do you pray for people who are going into church buildings expecting to find Christ and finding a fake Jesus? Hearing a fake gospel. And that's happening in our day. 
It's happening in our world. It happened in Paul's day, and it's happening in ours. He wrote to the Galatians, Who has bewitched you? If anyone comes to you and preaches a gospel other than the gospel you've already heard, he is to be accursed. There is a false gospel being preached in the Western church or world. And people are coming to that false gospel and believing in a false Christ. And therefore they have a false salvation. Do you care about that? You know, this is the thing. Do you really care about it? And if you care, will you go to God and remind him of his promises? Because that's the way he set it up. And every example in scripture shows you that way. If you ask, I will answer. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened. Every prayer that you pray in, in my name and according to my will, I will answer. If you need me to go with you, to empower you, to enable you, to do anything at all, I will do it. Nehemiah cared enough to ask, and then he asked God, and he reminded him of everything that God had said in the past. So just put yourself in Nehemiah's shoes and transfer Jerusalem to the church. Okay, what are you going to ask God for? Let's just say you're not going to go to the 245 million that are generally uh, across the world, not here. What are you going to ask for for those people? Or what are you going to remind God of? Mercy. Mercy, yeah. Yeah, but which are? This is specifically what promises? Yeah. No, what are you going to, yeah, so what are you going to do about the church here? Sorry, I maybe didn't make that clear. What are you going to pray about the church that is preaching a false gospel? That they know the truth? And what are you going to remind them, remind God about? You said that truth makes free. You said, if you seek me, you will find me. You said that you loved the world so much that you gave Jesus. So how come people are going into buildings that have your name on it and they are hearing about a Jesus who does not exist? How come you are allowing the preaching of a fake gospel Of course, because I'm going to tell you what his answer will be. (laughs) What will his answer be? Well, you're going to tell me, hopefully. What will his answer be? Exactly. That's exactly his answer. You know the truth. Where are you going? You know the truth. What are you doing with it? I filled you with the Holy Spirit of grace. What sort of grace are you expending towards the building, the people in the buildings who are preaching a fake gospel? What, how are you praying? What are you doing? See, if, if we come close to God, that's what we're going to hear. Because God holds us accountable for what we know. And he won't make us do anything that we don't ask him to let us do. He won't force you to do something about it. 
But once you hear about it and say, Lord, this cannot be, I can't bear the thought that thousands of people are going on a road they think is leading to you, but is actually leading in the opposite direction. And when you say to him that, he will answer with, who will go for us? Whom will I send? Go ahead, Diana. Yeah. 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 No, you're putting it perfectly. You're absolutely right. That's that is one of the biggest problems that we're facing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is a problem of challenging it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Me, that's a better word, yeah. So I think, I think that what he'll say, Diana, is, okay, so, you know, you have a home, you have a kettle, you have coffee in the jar, invite people to come to your home and talk to them about the, the real Jesus, the one that you know. Yeah. Yeah. There is. There is. There is. But the thing is, you care about it. You're praying to ask God, okay, what can we do about this? Because this cannot be right. And his answer is, take my word into that place. And, and, and not the building it necessarily, but to the people. Invite them to a Bible study. Do something. Have, a, have some sort of thing where they, you come and talk about the Lord or, or something. So anything where you're giving them the truth. Yes, of course. It's not the building, it's not the bricks, is it? I think, I mean, we just get, we've got kind of gone down a slightly blind alley with that, haven't we, in the West? You know, that we think the building's the church, the church is, the building's not the church. You know, I mean, you, you know that, but we kind of still get confused, don't we? So just go into the building and talk to people there. Go ahead, Kate. Um, I think there does come a point when you bashed your head against the <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, having trust in God that he can do what I humanly wasn't able mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And to have trust that he will do it. Mm-hmm. You, know, to, you know, I like what you're saying about that we can pray and, and, and recite to God his promises mm-hmm. on behalf of those people. Mm-hmm. And maybe God could use me again or he may use somebody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that what, what I think that what I'm what I see in the scriptures is, he's not asking you to fix it. He's asking you to care enough to ask him yes. to fix it. Yeah. 
And I think that sometimes we can kind of, you know, it's almost like we're washing our hands of things that don't quite agree with what we're, <laughs> what we're talking about. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, I can't do anything about that, so I'm not going to try. But I think that we're to pray for the, for, um, for the professing church and ask God to do what only he can do. And, if he, and, and what I think will happen is that he will work through each of us in different ways to bring that about. Because definitely God wants people to hear the gospel. He died for that. So you don't love them more than he does. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. You're being practical. No, you're not. You're actually that's that's good. I do. Yeah, I do. Well, I think all that we can do, any of us, is speak the truth, and and we have to know the truth to speak the truth. So we have to again. It all comes back to the word. We have to know the word so that when we so that we're actually you know we. You, you'll have heard this before, but you know when they're training bank tellers to know uh, counterfeit notes, they don't give them the counterfeits to look at. They give them real stuff all the time. Three months it used to be, and they used to smell it and taste it and feel it and all of that, so that as soon as later, when they were doing their job, if a counterfeit note came across their path, they knew it instantly because they knew the real thing. And that's what I think we're missing in the church. We don't know the real thing. And so, consequently, it's difficult to see when something's not right. But once you start this and you start knowing the real thing, I think God will make that evident to you. So, and I'm not saying that we've got to stand up and say, do you know what, you lot have all got it wrong, and I know what the truth is. Because it's almost never like that. It's almost always like you're saying, Diana, it's sort of a little bit of a watering down, and this is okay, and that's not okay. And, you know, it's all a little bit confusing. But I think if we can know the truth and speak the truth, I think God will do the rest. Well, I know he'll do the rest, and he will. And that's why I'm always, you know, as a ministry, we're always talking about fellowship. You must have good fellowship. Because otherwise, you're going into the lion's den every week, and you haven't had any strengthening. So it's imperative that, that we have good fellowship. So we tried to get started, you know, small fellowship groups so that uh, people who didn't feel that their churches were giving them that sort of fellowship would meet together, strengthen each other in the word, pray together, love one another, and then they would be able to go into the churches, the big places that they were going to, and actually have the strength to stand at the front and, you know. Mm. There you go, yeah, food. Mm. Yeah, you're right. We were talking about that at lunchtime, weren't we? Hmm. I remember an old black and white film, an American in this mobile restaurant. He was getting no customers, so he, he banked a pub in State Park <laughs> and held it up to the expenses. <laughs> and everybody came in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Then yeah. The yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But also, Ellen. Also, the it's oh good. 
Good. So I'm, I'm assuming that it's um, your wife who's cooking the steak pie and holding it yes. up. Mm. And you're just reaping all the praise and adulation. Enthralled. Yeah. I can't remember what I was going to say now, Alan. <laughs> you just like, you know. I'm thinking also, not just, sorry, not just of people outside the church. Of course, we need to be evangelizing and cooking the steak pie and making it delicious. But it's also people within, within the church. Because there's a lot of people who really want to know God. And they don't know how to. And, you know, the thought when you say, oh, you know, do a Bible study. It's like, really? Bible study? You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, there must be a quicker way. Um, so it's, it's really up to us, isn't it, to say, wow, you know, I saw this the other day and it was amazing. It made such a difference to me. It's up to us to, to bring the Bible to life in the beginning before they get into it so that then God will bring it to life for them. Hmm. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think somehow we've forgotten that, really. We've kind of forgotten that, that God's wonderful. And that the more I give him of myself and the more he takes over, the more people will be attracted to that. Not to me, but to the God who is within me. And so, and that has a kind of a growth all of its own, doesn't it? God does that. And we forget that God does that, don't you think? We, we kind of, we do and we don't. We know theoretically that God does that, but... But through me, I'm, I'm no, I don't know. You know, we have this. It's almost like we believe, we believe, and we start to lift up on eagle's wings, and then suddenly something's tugging at our ankle and telling us, "Oh no, you better stay down here just in case." That's what I think we're, where we are in the church a lot. Go ahead. Hmm. Mm. Um, but sometimes, and this is my experience, <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I think I do think if we try to do it in our own strength, we're either grace or truth. We're very seldom both, because we're either hitting them over the head with the Bible. Or we're loving them to death, which has no meaning really, because we love them anyway. So, yeah. Um, okay, so Nehemiah, and uh, what happened at the end of that chapter, I have to keep reminding myself to go back to the word because that's where it all is. Um, what does Nehemiah pray he, at the end? He says, 
didn't you say this and didn't you say that? And then he says, oh Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man who was the king. So he knew he was going to go to the king and he was going to ask for something that he knew, humanly speaking, the king would not allow. And so he's asking God to do the impossible for him, to do what he can't do. And I think that's also a key to this. We have to ask God to do the thing that's impossible. Because, yeah, because he, he is a miracle-working, impossible-making-possible God. And so we have to ask for the impossible. And... And when you ask for the impossible, what do you tell God? I mean, when you're asking him to give you something that, humanly speaking, you, you know is impossible, what are you telling God? I can't do it, you can, but also, I believe that you will. I believe that you will. Because Nehemiah is asking God for something that God's already promised. He's not coming to him and saying, I want a new car or you know, a palace. Or He's coming to say, you've promised this. And I believe in my asking that you will do this. So he's asking, really, his asking is almost, well, I know you're going to do this, but, but I'm asking because that's the way this works. Well, that's a challenge to me. Do I know God's going to do that? And if I do, why am I not asking more? Go ahead, Kate. Well, I just think it's, I love this passage, actually. It's been so helpful to me in my working life as well. To mm. sort of almost have a plan of what to do. The first thing is to realise and find the facts out. And then you go to God, and he's mourning, and he's fasting, and he's praying. Mm. Mm. Before he sort of, um, you know, it, that's the first thing yeah. he does. And he's planning it, then mm. he goes, mm. and he's got confidence that he's going to get a Mm-hmm. And I love the way later on he goes and then acquaints himself with all the details yeah. and stuff, and, and then God is working through him yeah. at every step of the way. Yeah. Just, to me, it's an absolute way of a plan of action. Yeah, it is. It's totally God-led. And yeah, it's yeah. And actually, that's what you read in Nehemiah, that God gave him the plan. Yeah. He gave him the plan. He gave him what to do and when to do it and how to do it. And, and, you know, that's there because that's an example for us, isn't it? That that's what God wants us to know. Um, I can't remember when I started, but probably it's time for tea. So, um, yeah. So we'll have tea and cake. And then, um, did it go quick? Did it seem like it went quick? Praise God. <laughs> okay. Tea, cake, and back again then. And then we'll have the last session.